As we've been doing each week, we also begin with a passage found in the book of Titus. You remember very briefly now, this was the Apostle Paul telling Titus the reason that he left him in Crete. It's found in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, and here it is. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint or ordain elders in every city as I commanded you. Now, very, very briefly, sometimes people think because Crete was so large and there was over a million people there, and ancient historians say that there were over a hundred cities there, and the Apostle Paul told Titus to ordain elders in every city or in every church, that they must have been accompanied with divine help or miraculous help from God, but not so. These were qualified men. Now somebody might say, well, how was it that they were qualified and today we struggle trying to find a plurality of men that would fit the qualifications to be an elder in various congregations in the body of Christ, for example, in our country? I think the answer is very simple. If you go back five lessons to the very first one, I made this point. Many of those that were converted early on were Jews. They had lived their life, they had worshipped, they had served God under the law of Moses. In other words, these were men that were already spiritually minded. In other words, they didn't have very far to go in order to be qualified to be elders. So what's the answer today? The answer today is we need more men, and this begins when they're young, we need more men that are spiritually minded and work toward the end of being an elder one day. Now, the word elder or the term elder, the office of an elder, is described in three ways. I'll be very brief. He is called an elder because the word elder means older and with experience. Now, the very definition of the word eliminates a young man that is full of or not full of experience. He is also called a bishop. And why is that? Because it describes his duty to the congregation, which is he is an overseer. He is also referred to as a pastor. And pastor is not preacher. Pastor is an elder. And this man is referred to as a pastor because he is a shepherd describing the task to feed the flock of God. Now, all that being said... There's a lot of qualifications that a man must fill and a man must be able to qualify in these. Very briefly, we've noticed these so far. Number one, he must desire the office. And in order to desire the office, if he's going to do that, if he's going to desire the position or title or office of an elder, he must eagerly or earnestly desire the work. He must be a man, not certainly a sinless man. Nobody's a sinless man, but he is a blameless man. In other words, there's no sustainable charge against him. He's a one-woman man. In fact, Paul simply calls that the husband of one wife. He is faithful and true to his one bride, just as Jesus Christ is faithful and true to his bride, and that being the church. Regardless of how many children he has, that part's not relevant. What is relevant is all of his children need to be faithful Christians. He needs to be, as the King James describes it, as a temperate man. 
The, the, the New King James says temperate. The Old King James says vigilant. And it just simply means he's calm in his demeanor and he's watchful over others. He is sober-minded. In other words, he demonstrates self-control in both his premeditated actions and his non-premeditated reactions. This is a guy that's a respectable guy. He's a guy of good behavior. And what that means is his outward behavior in his life simply is a luminary of the life that's already inside, and that is Jesus Christ. In other words, he reflects Jesus in his behavior. What else? He's a lover of strangers. He's a man of hospitality. What else? He is also one that is skillful and capable of teaching and not just exclusive to the pulpit in a public sense, but also inclusive of a private sense and one that gives good advice with wisdom too. Last time we noticed these six, he's not to be given to wine. It literally means not beside wine. What's that mean? It means he total abstinence. He has nothing to do with it. What else? He's not a striker. He's not a violent man. He doesn't do those things. He's not greedy for money. He is not a miser. He's gentle. Remember what that means? It doesn't mean timid. It means reasonable. It's talking about somebody that is reasonable. Somebody that allows for the other person to speak. Somebody that allows the other person's Feelings and thoughts too, that's a gentleman or simply a gentleman. What else? He's not quarrelsome. He's not an argumentative person. And finally, he is not covetous, meaning he's not a lover of money. One scholar just simply said that money is not his God. These are 15 that we've already noticed. Here's number 16 this morning. Here it is. He rules his own house well. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, the passage reads, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Now, what does all that mean? Sometimes people misunderstand the word rule. One scholar said it simply is this, and I love this. When you describe somebody that is ruling his own house well, you are describing a man that stands before his family and not stands above his family. That's that kind of a man. What am I saying? I'm saying he's not a dictator. I'm saying he, as a shepherd, does so as Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. Now picture this. The Bible says of Jesus Christ that he is the bishop of our souls. What does that mean? When it says he's the bishop of our souls, it means he is the overseer of our souls. What else? He is also a shepherd. What's a shepherd do? Does a shepherd stand above? Does a shepherd bark out orders? Does a shepherd yell out commands? No. A shepherd does what? He goes before those he's leading and he leads them and they follow. He leads and he guides. The point is this, if an elder trains his children with discipline, proper dis discipline and love, he will use the exact same qualities to train, discipline and encourage members of the household of God. Now, more about rules. 
ruling well and ruling over. What does all that mean um, in an additional sense? First of all, it means that he rules by showing the way, not by shouting the orders that I just mentioned. He is not one that does that, that shouts out and gives commands and is loud. He is somebody that leads by faith and not by fear. He leads by faith and not by fear. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, if a person is in a position of leadership, please hear me. I don't care what aspect of life that it is. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if you're a coach. I don't care if you're a parent. I don't care if you just have people in your job that you are over. If you have to keep telling the people that are under you that you are over them, there's something sadly wrong with your leadership. If I go into my house and I say, I've heard men do this in my life. And I, and I probably ridiculously did so as a very young, foolish man. But at some point in time, you say, I'm the head of the house. I should never have to make those, I should never have to make that statement. I should never have to utter those words. The people in my house, because I am standing before them and I am leading them, they should know by my actions, my demeanor, my behavior, that I am the head of my house. Have you ever worked for somebody that kept saying, I'm the boss, I'm your boss. Really? Do you have to keep saying that? If you have to keep saying it, there's something wrong with your leadership skills and your behavior too. Now, let's talk more about the word rule. I think it's very important. Some translations actually just render it manage. That's what you're doing. You're a manager. You are managing and leading and guiding. Now, that comes from a Greek word. It's translated in the New King James as rules and in other translations, manage. But it comes from this Greek word here. And it's prohistomai. And it means to be the head, to direct, to be concerned about and care for. And you know what? I don't see the word boss in there at all. It's the same word. Now, that word is found in a number of passages. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. And it's also found in 1 Timothy 5, 17. Remember this, we mentioned it last time. That an elder who rules well is worthy of double honor. Now, as we said last time, that doesn't mean he gets two checks. Double honor means the honor of being an elder... But if he is going to be one that is teaching the word of God and being an elder is his full-time commitment, he's worthy of support, financial support, just like, just like a preacher. In fact, Paul says those that labor in word and doctrine and rules well. What are we talking about? We're talking about somebody that is managing well, somebody that is leading well in the church. Here's another passage too, Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. This word's found there too. It says, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives in liberality, he who leads, same word, with diligence. Now, in this verse, Paul discusses those who serve in the church in various capacities. And although Paul does not mention elders specifically, he no doubt is referring to them. And when he says those that lead, he's talking about an elder. No doubt. 
All right, first of all, with the occurrence of the word prohistomai, it's obvious that elders have a measure of authority. That's true. But do you remember we mentioned it just a moment ago very briefly about desiring the office? Remember when we studied that, the very first lesson? That those words desire are, they're two different words. The first word desire means you have the desire for the position. The second word desire means you have a greater desire for the work. Now, why is that important? That's important because when you're put in a position of leadership or you have a position of authority, you need to be the kind of a person that realizes that my influence is more important than my authority. My influence is more important than my authority. Authority here derives from our responsibility or a man's responsibility as an elder to care for the flock. The example of the family is used to describe the work of an elder. And let me say this too. Please understand, a good father does not practice authoritarian rule in the home. I'm going to say it again. A good father does not practice authoritarian rule in the home. A good father manages. A good father directs. A good father is concerned about. A good father is one who cares for. A good father is a man that stands before his family and not above his family. I read this from a so-called, I don't know, expert so-called. I guess it's worth what you pay for. It was nothing. It was free, but I want to share it with you. He said this, the authoritarian form of family government with its emphasis on total conformity and submission is one of the least effective ways for a father to manage his family. Now, a father can still be the head of the family without being authoritarian. Now, okay, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by authoritarian? It's defined really as this. Someone who shows a lack of concern for the wishes and opinions of others. He is one that has a domineering and dictatorial attitude and demeanor. That's a dictator. That's not a good father. You know what happens too many times with the authoritarian approach? It very sadly often provokes family members to anger and even rebellion. But still, all that being said, children have the responsibility of being obedient to parents. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, obey your parents in the Lord. Now notice what he says. He says, and why? For this is right. Then he says, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Which is what? That you may live long on the earth. It may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. In other words, he told the Apostle Paul, writing the Ephesian letter, said, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? It's right. What else? Honor them. So it's not just a matter of doing what you're told. It's a matter of honoring and respecting them too. Now, I'll tell you something. It's true that I have to lead my family and my children in such a way 
that they become that. But it's also the child's responsibility to be that. And when the Bible, by the way, talks about faithful children, when it talks about having faithful children, I have the responsibility in my life of trying to bring up my children in the way that they should go and prayerfully when they are old, they will not depart from it. We believe in all of that. I must train my children in that way and provoke not them to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. All that's true. But children have the responsibility too. Yes, you do. And that's to be faithful for the rest of your life. Young people, please understand you have a huge responsibility too. Don't disqualify your father for being an elder one day because you can't stand and do what's right. Don't disqualify your father. I simply said this a few lessons ago, and I mean this, but really shame on the child. Shame on the child who has been brought up in a Christian home and guided in the way that he should go. Shame on the child that decides to depart from what is right and disqualifies his or her father for being an elder in the Lord's church. Shame on you that would do that. So instead of an authoritarian approach, though, the home is where love is. It's where forgiveness is. It's where happiness is experienced. A Christian home is a place where babies grow into mature adults. So a man that manages his family well is a man that's in an excellent position to manage the family of God. That's the whole point. In fact, a man who emotionally, one man said, is emotionally stable, spiritually mature, and wise in his life will provide adequate leadership in the home. All right. So not only is he to rule his own house well, but number 17, and I have, I have separated these, although they go together, but I've separated them as different qualifications. So here we're talking about he's to rule his own house well. But then it says, having his children in subjection. Now, I got to say, when Paul gives a qualification to Titus, and then he gives the qualification to Timothy. The qualifications to Timothy and the qualifications to Titus, they are not either or. They are and. So, I make this point. When he says that a man must have his children in submission or subjection, it doesn't mean that he can have young children in subjection, in submission, and doesn't have to have all of his children being faithful. So, what did he already tell Titus? He said you have to have faithful children, meaning all your children are faithful Christians. In addition to that, those same Christians that are faithful must be in subjection or submission with reverence. Now, this is an extension of the other. 1 Timothy 3 and 4, one who rules well his own house. As I said, I separated them as two different qualifications, though they go together. One who rules well his own house. Doing what? Having his children in submission. An extension of the other. Now, it's an extension or a result of a father who rules or manages or leads his family properly. And again, the point is this. 
The children's love and respect should be won rather than severely enforced. The children know their father's voice and they recognize that voice as a voice of love, a voice of concern, a voice of fairness. And the same is seen in the church. An elder knows each member of God's family too. And by the way, when working with a congregation recently that wants to have elders, one of the things that we did as evangelists, Greg Gay and I, is we sent home with them questionnaires for their family to fill out. I thought that was really wise of Greg to do that. In other words, they're questionnaires because nobody knows you like your wife and kids. Sometimes we behave in a certain way when we're out in public or out among the, the congregation, but when the doors are shut and we're in the house, our family sees who we really are. If my family sees me and respects me based on what I do and the way I lead my family, then that's who I really am, how I behave. That's the kind of guy that needs to be an elder. If the congregation knows him as a loving, kind, caring family man, then they can rest assured he will do the same thing in the household of God. So, the reason for this qualification, though, here's a reason. Verse 5, watch this. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Simple as that. But then there's the next one. He's not a novice. He is not a novice. What does that mean? In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul said this. Not a novice. What a powerful passage. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Now, this Greek word here, neophutos, is a compound word. And all that means is it's a Greek word that was taken from two other words. So when we try to figure out what a novice really is, let's talk about that. It comes from two other words. One word is neos, meaning new or fresh. And the other word is futea, which is a plant. Talking about something that is a neophutos is simply one that is newly planted in the faith. He is a new convert. A new convert. Now I'm going to tell you, there's an English word that we get from neophutos. It's the word neophyte. It's the word that means beginner or novice. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm saying these words in exaggeration, but here's the point. It's not talking about chronological age by itself. The word elder describes chronological age. In other words, he's an older man. He is a man that is respected. He is a man that has experience, right? We get that. That is an elder. Okay? But this word here is talking about where he is spiritually. And he can be 175 years old and be a novice. If he's a new convert and was baptized at 80 years old, you know what he is? He is a novice. He's brand new in the faith. So it doesn't just mean a man that's older with chronological age, and therefore he should be an elder. He's an elder if he fits the qualifications, one of which is he can't be a brand new convert. Can't be. Now, a recent convert 
will not have the spiritual maturity and experience necessary to be a good elder. In fact, Paul says that a novice may be lifted up with pride because of his lack of experience in the faith. Now, we all understand there's a period of time in all of our life, spiritually speaking, when we are a babe. We are a babe in Christ. There is a period of time. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Listen to this. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Why? For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Here's another passage, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, because, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. When someone is placed in a position of authority before he's able to handle it, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. And you can fall into the same judgment as the devil who was puffed up with pride. Now, sometimes people want the position or the title without the work. Sometimes people want to get, get any kind of a position because they just want to be large and in charge instead of being a humble servant. An elder is a humble servant. He leads in a way that a father is to lead, and that is out in front. He is living his life in such a way that he demonstrates the qualifications and the qualities that an elder must have. He does it in the home. Therefore, he has the respect of his family, and all the members of the body of Christ can see that that's how he's living his life. Not a novice. A humble servant that is not new in the faith. But then he says this, unless what? Lest he being puffed up, or some translations say lifted up with pride. Now, Kenneth Wuest said this about the phrase being lifted up with pride. He said it's being blind with pride or conceit. You know what happens when you're a novice, when you're new in the faith, when you don't have the wisdom and experience? What happens? You can be puffed up or you can be blind with pride. And watch this. And fall under the same condemnation as the devil. You know, a long, long time ago, the Bible records that there was an angel named Lucifer. And he was in heaven. He's also called Satan. He's called the devil. He's called the dragon. He's called a number of different things. Lucifer was in heaven as one of the angels. And Lucifer and a third of the host of heaven were cast out because of pride. Paul said this. Don't put a man that is a new convert or a beginner in a position of being an elder. Or he runs the risk of what? Being puffed up with pride and fall into the same condemnation as did the devil. Now, a brother who desires to become a church leader, I think, must have plenty of time and opportunity to test his own faith and be shown among those that are around him. And to, and to give others time also to see evidence of his spiritual growth and maturity. Now, 
Folks, here's the deal. We have to have a good reputation. Now, do you remember when I have said periodically through these sermons that many of these things apply to every Christian? Do you know when it talks about having a good reputation, it's talking about every Christian too? I will have absolutely no influence at all if I don't have a good reputation based on my behavior. All the things that we've talked about so far is the reputation that a man that wants to be an elder must have in his family and the reputation in the church. But there's more. And that's the reputation among those that are outside. That's those that are in the world. In this passage in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 7, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those that are outside. Some translations say those that are without. In other words, those that are in the world. So I have to have a good reputation among my family, among the church, and I need to have a good reputation as a qualification to be an elder if I wanted to be one one day. I must have a good reputation among those that are in the world too. This phrase here actually means this. Having a good testimony among those who are outside, one scholar said it means that he's a man of general acceptance by reputation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. This is talking about reputation and safeguarding your reputation among those that are in the world. 1 Corinthians 10.32 says this. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Philippians 2 and verse 15, Paul advises this. He said that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. One more passage, Colossians 4 and 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. Now, you know what's interesting? In the New English Bible... It, it renders this passage very clearly. Watch this. This is how the New English Bible renders this passage. He must have a good reputation with the non-Christian public so that he may not be exposed to scandal and get caught in the devil's snare. Interesting phrase, isn't it? And be caught in the devil's snare. In other words, as, as possible as it could be, elders need to shine as lights in the world, not compromising their Christian position, their principles, and their practices. Now remember this, Jesus is the chief shepherd. We show the world Jesus in our behavior. That's what we do. We are moral. We are committed. We are honest. We are sincere. You know, if we really want people to know about our reputation, and I'm just going to tell, I'm just going to use me, I'll just use me. If you want to know whether I have a good reputation or not, then you need to go and talk to kids I've coached. You need to go talk to my family. You need to go talk to the people I play golf with. Haven't played in a long time. Love it. Want to get going again? Love it. But the way that I behave outside 
really determines my reputation. So if we were at a point in time where we are looking at this qualification for an elder, we need to have a man that shows a good reputation in his family, in the church, but also in the world among those that see him at his job. How about that? What if you were a businessman? It'd be great to go talk to people that you do business with or employees or whatever. And why does it matter? Why does it matter? If the world sees us living a good life with a good reputation and we are the real genuine article, the real deal, as the common vernacular would say, you know what happens? God gets the credit and God is glorified for the reason or the purpose that you are the way you are. Listen to this quote, please. I got this from a commentator. Listen to this quote. The reputation of the congregation is only as strong as the reputation of its leadership. And that's a fact. Now, Paul says this. You got to have a good testimony among those that are outside, lest he fall under the reproach of the devil. Now, the word reproach, according to W.E. Vine, means defamation, disgrace, slander, blame, or accus accusation. The point that he's making is, as Satan himself fell with pride, he greatly longs to see church leaders fall into the same snare. He was cast down out of heaven because of pride. And you know what he wants? He wants other people in the church to fall into the same disgraceful snare of pride. That's why we have to have a good reputation among those that are around us. Paul mentions the snare of the devil in 2 Timothy 2.26. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now, Satan, because of pride, came under judgment. And that's exactly what he wants. That's exactly what Satan wants. He wants people of God to come under the same judgment. But here's the point. An elder must have a good reputation and not be open to an easy attack from the devil. Now, by the way, we've just finished the qualifications in the book of 1 Timothy. And do, do you see something that happened here? In verses 6 and 7, it sums up the reputation or it sums up where he began. Do you remember the first thing that he said after he said you have to desire the office? The very next thing in the very beginning he said you've got to be blameless. You know what he says at the end, seven verses later? Got to be blameless. Blameless in the church and blameless outside. No sustainable charge against. Now let me ask you this. If you were a person that was a sister in Christ, you can't be an elder. Can't qualify to be an elder. We know that. But I guarantee you, if you had a good reputation among those that are within and those that are without, you'd be a better person. You'd be a better Christian. We all would. Every one of us. We would all be blameless. 
And the reason that this is important is because those that are outside of the body of Christ, they will judge the church by its leaders. Okay, in conclusion, here's the qualifications that we noticed. And in the introduction, I went over these. We'll not do that again. These are 15 qualifications. Here's what we noticed today. An elder must first rule or lead or manage his own house well. Why? If he can't manage his home, how's he going to manage the family of God? Number two, he must have his children in subjection. In other words, they are respectful children. They not only are listening and obeying, but they are honoring their parents. And they have to be faithful Christians. So we're talking about faithful Christians that are in subjection with respect uh, to their father. He must not be a novice. He can't be a new convert. And finally, he must have a good testimony or he must have a good reputation among those that are in the world. Now, that's 1 Timothy. That's all the qualifications given in 1 Timothy. The remaining qualifications from Titus, and this will be next time. Here they are. Must not be self-willed or arrogant. Must not be quick-tempered. Must be a lover of what is good. Must be just and upright. Must be holy and devout. And must hold fast the faithful word. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.